0: Alrighty, I am declaring early for the NFL Draft, so this will be the last We Are podcast for me, Corey Geyer. Now, just kidding. Folks, appreciate everybody tuning in to the We Are podcast here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. We're going to talk NFL Draft decisions, what goes into that for a young man who's in college. We'll get into all that, some key decisions made by Joey Porter Jr., Olu Fashnu, and then Parker Washington. Very, very fascinating. We have a whole bunch of other stuff I want to get to on the podcast here. Really, really good stuff. Because of Parker Washington's decision, how hard does Penn State now have to hit the transfer portal for a wide receiver? That's part of it. Coming up a little bit later on, we'll talk Heisman Trophy. I'll let you know who I voted for. Caleb Williams from USC. Clear front runner, or clear easy winner. Saturday night uh, for the Heisman. So, congratulations to him. Talk a little bit bit of Penn State basketball coming up later on, too. A sensational victory over number 17, Illinois on the road Saturday. Penn State blew them out. I want to start, though, with the draft. You know, it's easy in life to make decisions for other people. Okay. Hey, this is what I would do. There's money involved. I'm going to take the money. I'm going to make a decision that's going to make me the money now. That's what we do, right? That's what I do. You know, if you're a sports fan, a lot of people will look at it and say, "Ah, hey, you know, what what would I do in that situation? Would I just go ahead and take the money? Would I come back to college for another year?" So what's fascinating to me about guys when they have to make a decision to enter the NFL early, is we want to selectively forget? They're college students. They've got to go to class. <laughs> they got to take tests. Man, I'm 49 years old. I'm 27 years removed from college. I would absolutely hate to go back to college. College for me was yeah, it was fun. You get through it and it's like, let's get the hell out of here and get into the real world. You know what I'm saying? How many of you fell into that category? Maybe you had, no matter how much fun you had in college, maybe you're out there sowing your wild oats and doing whatever under the sun in college. But a lot of times you just can't wait to get out. Now, if you're an athlete and you've got millions of dollars waiting, that just speeds up the process of you can't wait to get out. So, Joey Porter Jr., that was an easy decision. Joey's going to be a first-round pick unless something goes badly wrong uh, with his workouts or what have you. He's going to be a first-round pick. He's going to make tens of millions of dollars. That's an easy decision for him to go pro early. Olu Olufashnu decided to come back to Penn State for next year. Surprised a lot of people because he was considered a first-round pick. But Olu's 19 years old. Now, we get accustomed to to basketball players going into the NBA at 18, 19 years old. But, you know, should they? I mean, basketball is one thing. Uh, You know, you can still kind of hold your own as a basketball player physically even at 19 or 20 years old in the NBA. A lot of guys will not – well, some guys will do that at a very early age. You go into the NFL as a 19-year-old – now, only would be 20. You go into the NFL as that young of a person – Again, I will admit I was surprised he decided to come back, but it also sounds like a really good decision that he's gonna come back because he can spend another year in college, get a little bit older, get a little bit more mature. Now, obviously the risk, what if he comes back and he struggles next year? What if he come back, comes back and he gets injured? Now he's been injured this year. He missed the last four games of the regular season. You know, when you're projected to be a first round pick. And you decide to to risk it, uh boy, you fall to the second, third round, you can lose millions of dollars. And that is something that clearly has to has to be a factor. But I do I do give credit and respect to Olufashnu for deciding to come back again. Just a very young man. We're not talking a 21, 22 year old guy here. Okay, so now we're gonna spend a good bit of time on Parker Washington. I'm surprised Parker Washington. Made the decision to turn pro early. I like Parker. I think he's a good wide receiver. Do I think he's a great college wide receiver? No. do I think he's overrated? Yes. I do. He got 46 passes this year for 611 yards he's a, he's a nice he's a nice college wide receiver. He weighs 215, 220 pounds, so he's got some size and that can help him at the at the NFL level. But I think Parker Washington is essentially a, a possession receiver. I don't think he's got the kind of you know burning speed or uh height or anything like that that you're just gonna send him 40, 50 yards down the field he's gonna make game changing catches. He's a nice receiver. He's a good football player. I I wish him the best. It surprises me that he is projected to be a third round NFL pick. And that's, that is kind of about where he's slotted at somewhere around there. Uh, because again, I, I, I this is going to sound mean. It's going to sound ra- He's a nice player. He's like the 10th, 15th best receiver Penn State's had in the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, we've seen Chris Godwin. We've seen, uh, Jahan Dotson. We've seen Allen Robinson not too long ago. You go back to the, To Jordan Norwood, Derek Williams, Deion Butler, how effective those guys were. Deshaun Hamilton, a really effective college receiver. I mean, we've seen some pretty good receivers at Penn State over the last 15 or so years. Where's Parker Washington rank among those guys? I, I, again, with all due respect to him, he is a nice receiver. He's a nice college. He caught 46 passes for 611 yards. He missed some time at the end, but he is not Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, and nor is he projected to be, really. I mean, Marvin Harrison's a, our first-round guy. So I'll give Parker respect. If they're listing him as a third-round pick and these NFL draft scouts, well, I, I want to say they know more about this stuff than I do, but these are some of the same damn people that have Will Levis projected to go in the top ten. I'll get into more of that a little bit later on because I wrote about the, this week as well. <laughs> these NFL scouts make a lot of mistakes, okay? I don't know how some of them have jobs. But I thought Parker Washington needed to come back to college for another year. Maybe become show show that he is a true legit number 1 college guy. Halfway through this season I thought Mitchell Tinsley was their best receiver. Honestly, I mean, Parker had a tremendous game against Ohio State, 11 catches for a buck 79, showed just how valuable he can be. But I mean, really, you take that buck 79 out of the way, he he ran he 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 caught about 425 yards. And, what, 35 catches, 425 yards in nine games. So, again, I I just thought he there was more he could come back and do. But here's the dilemma, okay? If he's projected to be a third-round pick, I don't think there's anything he could do to be a first-round pick. I don't think he could pull a Jahan Dotson because I just don't think he's as good as Jahan Dotson. Jahan Dotson worked himself into being a first-round pick, and now you're talking many millions of dollars more. To me, let's say Parker Washington comes back next year to college, has a great year, 80 catches, 1,100 yards, 1,200 yards. He's still probably a second-round pick. I mean, because, I, again, he just doesn't have some of the other tools and measurables that you would think to have a first-round receiver. Um, so if he comes back and he improves his draft stock, say 30 spots, that's good. That's very impressive. But – you know, you're still a second-round pick. You you can get good money if you're a third-round pick. You can get better money if you're a second-round pick. But you get up there and you start the process. And like I mentioned earlier, maybe you just don't want to go to college anymore. You You don't want to be a student. You want a chance to go get your money, and that makes perfect sense. So I do think Parker Washington can be a nice receiver in the NFL. Do I think he'll be a star? No. Do I think he is... Third round material, me personally, I don't. I would say fourth round, but hey, maybe he goes and he's got better skills and better size than what I'm giving him credit for. But because he got injured at the end of the year, and we don't know exactly publicly what the what the injury was, lower leg injury, I was told it was pretty severe. How will that impact him preparing for the combine? How will that impact him for pro day and and all of those things? I, I just, I got to think that if it is, if it is pretty severe and it's limiting him over the next no, even more month or two, how will he get himself ready? Will there be questions? Could that drop him into the fourth round? So then if he goes into the fourth round, uh, now you're probably talking he makes a mistake. He made a mistake. Because if he can get it in the second round, but he slips to the fourth round, this, the, the monetary differential there is very substantial. So how does all of this impact Penn State from a wide receiver standpoint? Going forward, this is where things get interesting. You lose Parker Washington, forty six catches. You lose Mitchell Tinsley, forty five catches. Next highest receiver on the team, Keandre Lambert Smith, twenty one catches. Harrison Wallace, the third, seventeen catches. These are not number one college receivers. These are possession guys. They are guys. You know, maybe Harrison Wallace can be you know, can be better than that. We will see. Got off to a nice start. But these are not guys that you go into a battle in a season with thinking Keiondre, Lambert, Smith, Harrison, Wallace are your number one or two receivers. So what happens is now Penn State has found itself in a position for the first time, for the first time during the transfer portal era era, where it is in dire need of hitting some home runs in the transfer portal. Yes, they got Arnold Ebicadee. He worked out great. But we didn't really necessarily think Penn State was in dire need of a defensive end. It, it, it Obviously, it was in need of it, but that was a, a, an added bonus as good as Arnavacady was. And they've gotten other good players out of the transfer portal, Mitchell Tinsley coming over, being the number two receiver. But now, you're talking about the potential. Penn State doesn't have a number one receiver. There's no number one receiver on the roster. I'm not sure there's a number two receiver on the roster. So... You, If you've got high expectations for next year and you've got the phenom quarterback in Drew Aller, you've got to give him weapons. If you want Drew Aller to develop the way that you think he can as a potential superstar, you've got to give him the right weapons to throw to. I mean, if he had a Jahan Dotson, if he had a K.J. Hamler, if he had a Chris Godwin, that kind of player, you'd like to think, hey, Drew Aller could come out and put up some serious, serious numbers and be a major threat. But if they don't get the wide, res- the right wide receiver transfers out of the portal, how does that impact Drew Aller? So that's where I thought <clears throat> earlier in the season, I thought, yeah, Parker Washington, good chance he turns pro. As the season went on and then he got hurt, I, I-, I really kind of thought, okay, he's going to come back. That'll be a-, a safety net for Drew Aller next year with, with Parker leaving. Oh, man, there's just a lot of emphasis now on – hitting the portal penn state has done so they've offered guys we'll we'll update that on, on the website you know day after day depending on what's going on with the news and maybe if you don't hear this until early the week there's a chance maybe penn state's already gotten a commitment from a wide receiver but they'd better because there's a lot at stake here this is a major major area of need penn state has a chance to be good next year But a lot of that could depend on exactly what it gets out of the transfer portal because of Parker Washington's decision. Take a break. Come back in uh, the second segment. Talk a little Heisman Trophy. Mother's Day is around the corner. Welcome to the second segment of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I started covering college football on a full-time basis in 2006, covering Penn State for the Altoona Mirror. So, I've done a good bit of stuff. Um, I obviously covered the the scandal and everything, and that was something I do not look back on with any level of uh, uh, anything other than just sadness. Sadness. Uh, and frustration. In 2012, so I'd been covering football, college football for about six years. Beano Cook, the legendary uh, former Pitt uh, uh, SID and college football analyst who had really become a household name in college football. I grew up with Beano Cook when I was a teenager, watching him on TV, not really knowing a whole lot about him, but you know, just knew who he was. And so, uh, I, I was living here in Altoona. Uh, my my former boss at the Altoona Mirror, Neil Riddell, was actually very good friends with Bino Cook. Um, Neil has written a lot about Bino over the years, and and he was really in in touch with Bino a great deal uh, for many years, including up, up to the end of Bino's life. And so it was it was with a great deal of sadness in 2012, Bino Cook passed away for me personally, uh, in my career. So what happens is there are uh, a handful of Penn State writers who vote for, uh, the Heisman, a, a pretty good number of uh, Pennsylvania sports writers who vote for the Heisman. I don't know total how many vote for the Heisman, but, um, Bino passed away in 2012 and he was a Heisman voter in Pennsylvania. And so the director of, uh, you know, the Organizer of all the voters in Pennsylvania is David Jones from the Harrisburg Patriot News and Penn Live. And he approached me in 2012 and asked me if I would like Beano's Heisman vote. And I was just floored. I mean, just really, uh, so unbelievably humbled to be asked to vote for the most prestigious individual sports award in the whole world. And the Heisman is, uh, the most prestigious individual sports award. Um, so I got my vote. Through, you know, sadly, Bino's passing, my first year to vote for the Heisman was the Johnny uh, uh, <laughs> Johnny football uh, a year with Manti Teo. So, if you think about that, Johnny Manziel ended up winning, and he got my vote. But Manti Teo was going through all that stuff with uh, the catfishing and everything. That was that was my first year as a Heisman voter, 2012. So. I take a lot of pride, put a lot of thought into my Heisman vote every year. I, I keep up with players all year long. I keep up with the odds. I, I, I see, you know, I try to read, you know, who's, who's favored, what other people think. You don't really want to be on an island kind of. I don't want to vote for some dude from North Texas when no one else is voting for him or, or what have you. You kind of, you kind of want to make sure that your vote matters. And, and you know, you want to vote for the person you truly believe should win, and I I always have, but you don't want to just throw out some crazy vote and and you're on an island either. So I take a lot of pride in who I pick uh, or or vote for. You vote for three, first place, second place, third place. This year, C.J. Stroud was my leader the whole way. I voted C.J. second in the Heisman last year, and so uh, I I love C.J. Stroud as a college quarterback and I have great respect for what Ohio State does so he was my leader the whole way then they lost to Michigan and then CJ Stroud was no longer the front runner Caleb Williams from USC became the front runner and then clearly just kind of blew up with more people focusing on his numbers at the end of the year and and uh dual threat 4000 yards passing 400 yards rushing could do it all on the ground as well so Caleb Williams to me really became an easy choice for that first place vote, I gave C.J. Stroud a lot of consideration. Here's the only thing that bothered me about... Not bother that's not the right word. Here's the thing that I gave a lot of consideration to with Caleb compared to C.J. Stroud, whom I voted second, and Max D- Duggan, whom I voted third. I do not have a lot of confidence in Pac-12 defenses. I frankly do not have a lot of respect for defenses in the Pac-12. I I'll stay up and watch some of those late games after I'm covered, after I've covered a Penn state game. And it just baffles me how bad a lot of the defenses are in the PAC 12, all these teams getting into the thirties and forties with ease, if not more. And I looked at Caleb Williams and I thought, okay, you know, he's got 4,000 yards. He's got 400 yards rushing, but he's doing this against quite frankly, some mediocre and bad defenses. And If it were close, if the numbers were close, if it were really a a, a coin toss between Caleb Williams and C.J. Stroud or somebody else, if there had been anybody else, you know, for me personally, the Pac-12 factor would have turned me off enough to have voted for someone else. Because again, I just I I think USC and UCLA are going to be in for a bit of an awakening when they come in the Big Ten. Uh, with the way defenses are played, the physicality aspect of it, um, so I, I just I have issues just compiling a whole bunch of numbers in the Pac-12 against those defenses. At the end of the day, Caleb Williams' numbers were too good. Even in their losses to Utah, he threw for three eighty-one. Let me look these up and make sure I got these right. Their first loss to Utah, he threw for three seventy. Uh, let's see, three eighty-one. Second loss in the Pac-12 title game, three sixty-three and three TDs. He also got hurt, you know, hurt his hamstring, really limited in that game, but was still very effective. So at the end of the day, there wasn't much of a decision for me, as much as I might hold against Pac-12 defenses. Caleb Williams was still the clear, clear choice. Then it became a choice between Max Duggan and C.J. Stroud, and while I, I watched the Pac-12 the title game like everybody else did, Max Duggan was a warrior against Kansas State, nearly won that game kind of by himself. I wasn't going to throw away two years of loving what I've seen from C.J. Stroud. Again, I voted C.J. Stroud second in the Heisman last year. He he lost it to Bryce Young. I voted him second this year. C.J. Stroud, to me, is an excellent quarterback. He's going to be probably the first quarterback off the, off the board in the NFL draft, <laughs> which gets me back to Will Levis. Good Lord, I'm not sure I've really ever seen a more overrated quarterback than will levis for the nfl draft gonna go a little rant here i mean to me will levis is a third or fourth round pick i've seen him third or fourth round i've seen him projected as high as the number four overall pick a lot of people have him in the top 10 top 15 i don't see it not at all uh i do think he is an nfl caliber quarterback because he's got great physical skills And he can maybe play quarterback in the NFL, but is he a guaranteed franchise guy that you're going to spend a top five, top ten pick on? No, he's a project to me. He's a guy that you got to get up there teach him how to play quarterback to catch up with his skills. That could take a while. So anyway, C.J. Stroud, to me, first quarterback off the board. I voted him second. A lot of respect for Max Duggan with what he did in TCU. Uh, I voted him third. I gave very little to no consideration to Stetson Bennett. This one perplexes me because I think Stetson Bennett got votes as a for a lifetime achievement award. And if that sounds dismissive of some of the our other Heisman voters, hey, so be it. I, I'm I'm just gonna call it like I see it here. I think Stetson Bennett's story is amazing. Absolutely freaking amazing amazing to go from walk-on with all having to leave Georgia go to go to another school come back always kind of be the third or fourth quarterback and then turn himself into a national championship starting quarterback last year and number one team this year again I have all the respect in the world for what Stetson Bennett's done he, he he's not a Heisman finalist he, he's just not uh, 3,400 yards, good number of yards, 20 touchdowns, six interceptions. You do have to have the numbers, folks. You, you've you got to have the numbers, and he just didn't. And Hendon Hooker from Tennessee, to me, uh, was much more deserving of being a Heisman finalist. So I gave Stetson been a very little thought as a finalist or with my ballot. Uh, I just think that Georgia team is so good, and he really doesn't have to be the guy. He doesn't have to go out and win games like a lot of quarterbacks do for their team. Um, so, uh, but Stephen Bennett did finish fourth. Hendon Hooker was fifth. One other guy I do want to mention here is Blake Corum, because I really like Blake Corum, and I, I gave him a tremendous amount of consideration. One thing I don't want to do, one thing I don't like to do or prefer to do, is just vote for three quarterbacks. Um, That is really where we are today in... Awards we give the quarterbacks all the credit or all the blame, and so the Heisman has kind of become, for the most part, the best quarterback in the country, with a a rare exception. But I don't. If there's any other position, I will give that person a great deal of thought, and I gave Blake Corum a great deal of thought, like maybe for my third place vote. Uh, Blake Corum, fourteen hundred yards rushing, eighteen touchdowns. But here's why I didn't vote for Blake Corum. I didn't vote for Blake Corum because of Donovan Edwards, the other Michigan running back. So think about this: Donovan Edwards goes to Ohio State and runs for 216 yards when they beat the Buckeyes. Donovan Edwards in the Big Twelve, Big uh, Big Ten championship game runs for 180 yards against Purdue. Against Penn State, we saw Donovan Edwards have a, have a great day with 170 yards. I think the system that Michigan has, phenomenal offensive line, the run blocking, the commitment to the running game. Blake Blake Corum is really, really good. Uh, but, I I mean, to see Donovan Edwards do basically everything Blake Corum did when Blake Corum was hurt at the end of the year kind of made me think, okay, well, is this, was Blake Corum really that good? Or was he just the lead tailback in the best running game? the running system uh, that we have in college football. And so I ended up not voting for him. I did give him a lot of thought, but that Michigan running game is just so, so good that uh, I just kind of took a step back and think, you know, thought, you know what, Uh, if Donovan, if Michigan had struggled and Donovan Edwards had struggled against Ohio state or Purdue or whatever, it would have made me consider Blake, Blake Corum even more. We'll take a break in the third segment talk a little Penn State basketball after this. Oh, welcome to our Third and final segment of the We Are podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I want to talk some Penn State basketball now. Nittany Lions with a tremendous win Saturday afternoon at Illinois. Now, Illinois is number 17 in the AP rankings, but number 10 in the NCAA net rankings. The net rankings, those of you who like college basketball, you you know what they are. They're kind of like the old RPI rankings. They're a way to help kind of differentiate between various teams. But the net ranks are very important. Illinois was number 10 in the country in the net rankings. Illinois was coming off of a win in Madison Square Garden over number two, Texas. So Penn State goes to Champaign Saturday afternoon and just pounded Illinois. They were up by 19 at one point. They end up winning by 15, 74-59. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal win uh, for Penn State. Now, earlier in the week, the Lions had a, a golden opportunity at home against Michigan State to get off to a 1-0 start in the Big Ten. Look, folks, I, I won't beat around the bush. I think Penn State has one of the 68 best teams in the country. I think they are an NCAA tournament team. If they get into the NCAA tournament, I think Penn State could get to the Sweet 16, which they've only done one time ever uh, during the modern era with uh, Joe Crispin in, in 2021. But I do, I do think that this Penn State team – Playing well, hitting shots, is an NCAA tournament team and a team that could advance in the NCAA tournament. Problem is, they don't have the wins to get to the NCAA tournament right now. Uh, I mentioned the net rankings. Penn State came into the game number seventy nine in the country in the net rankings, and that ain't going to get you into the NCAA tournament. It's just not. Penn State came in six and three, but no, no huge quality wins. They lost to Virginia Tech, lost to Clemson, and then that Michigan State game a chance to uh, come out, get a big win at home over a quality team that's probably going to go to the tournament. Instead, they lose at home. And so I think Penn State uh, learned a big lesson there. Michigan State had lost two in a row, including its Big Ten opener against Northwestern. And there's no way Tom Izzo was going to start 0-2 in Big Ten play. There's no way that was going to happen. They came in ready to go, and Penn State wasn't fully ready physically and mentally against Michigan state. So then on Saturday against Illinois, we saw the exact opposite. We saw a good Penn state team that again, I think is an NCAA tournament team feeling like it had its backs against the wall and kind of desperation mode after losing two in a row, dropping to 79 in the net rankings. And look, you got to have to have a come to Jesus moment and say, if we're going to make a run at this, we better start winning these games. And so I didn't give a much, much, uh, chance to go to illinois and win but you catch illinois at the right time think about it illinois number 10 in the country beating number two texas then in their very next game they come home and they face a a very very hungry penn state team that had lost to them. it's kind of a perfect scenario for penn state illinois might be on cloud nine a little bit and you could catch them in a trap game and penn state meanwhile needed a big win so they come out and shoot the ball great, 12 of 24 from three. So that's an impressive win, and it's the kind of win that, look, the Lions have to go nine and nine. go got to go nine and nine in the Big Ten. You go nine and nine in the Big Ten, got a road win at Illinois. You pick up three more good wins against top 30, top 40 teams, and the schedule is littered with them. If you go nine and nine with that resume, you're going to be in the tournament. Yeah, maybe they're an 11 seed. Maybe they're in a first four game where they got to go to Dayton and win a play-in game just to get in. But, hey, look, uh, Penn State's got a lot of veteran uh, leadership and experience. Uh, Older guys, uh, Micah Shrewsbury talked about that after their win Saturday at Illinois. That was a a veteran uh, showing out there in Champaign. So, hey, you know, give them a lot of credit for the way they bounced back. I, I I criticized them pretty heavily for not being more ready against Michigan State. If I'm going to say, hey, these veterans know what's at stake in the Illinois game, well, you should have known what was at stake in the Michigan State game too. Should have should have gone out there uh, better prepared at home when you're favored, actually, um, to beat Michigan State. But still, they, they got the win. Now they get a little bit of a break going back to the non-conference. They play three very easy games, Canisius, Quinnipiac, Delaware State. And then they'll get back into the the heart of the uh, Big Ten schedule on on New Year's Day against Iowa. Nothing, 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 nothing is ever easy in the Big Ten. I sit here and say Penn State's got to go nine and nine in the Big Ten to get the NCAA tournament, and I think this is a good Penn State team. But hell, they could go seven and eleven. I mean, the Big Ten, yeah, what might be down a little bit this year? Kind of again, you're still facing quality competition and you're facing uh, programs with great tradition a lot of terrific coaches who know how to get these teams prepared this is an outstanding opportunity for Micah Shrewsbury as he did it against Illinois to prove that he knows how to get a team prepared when you're going up in a really really big game so hey you go to Illinois get that win instead of starting 0-2 and now your backs are really against the wall trying to get to nine and nine. Now you're one and one. You should have beaten Michigan State. You didn't probably should have lost Illinois, but you got, you got the win. So it evens out. So if they can just find a way to even things out the rest of the way in the Big Ten, this should be, uh, uh an NCAA tournament team. But again, you got, you got to, you got to prove it. For me to say it for them to pass the eye test is one thing. It's another thing for them to go out there and prove it and make sure they show up every night and shoot the ball the way they're capable of shooting and winning those games. All right, folks, that's going to wrap things up for this week's. We are podcast. We'll see what happens in the transfer portal with the football program this week. And we'll probably have a, a lot more to discuss about that on the podcast net next week. And then uh, we've also got uh, Penn state bowl media day is coming up uh, this Friday. So we'll have a lot of interviews um in discussion with a lot of Penn State players heading for uh, heading into the Rose Bowl against Utah. Thanks for tuning in everybody, and we will talk to you next week.